We will primarily be in the book of Joshua tonight, and I hope that you probably already understood that since we're preaching about uh, the gospel and Jesus and Joshua. Um, this series has been uh, really through books, I, I, I think, thus far. I, I've been excited about uh, going through books. One of the great challenges uh, when preaching through a book is to cover things that uh, you just think are amazing or things that people ought to to know and I'm very challenged with the book of Joshua because I love the book of Joshua. I love the character uh, Joshua who he was as a man. Uh, I named my son Caleb after Caleb uh, who was Joshua's friend one of the spies uh, and uh, we would have named another child Joshua if there had to been so many Joshua's around right we have two you know we have a Josh Womble we have a Josh Green and I have a cousin named Joshua which was the reason we, we decided to, to to use a different name and uh, but love love the book of Joshua and I hope that as you exit tonight that uh, from what we cover I hope you're excited to go home and read more uh, of, of the book of Joshua so um, one of the things that I think that uh, is important uh, in us reading Joshua is for us to think about what it is like for us to have solid mentors in our life. What does it mean for us to have good Christian role models in our life? Uh, in my uh, career uh, as an engineer, I have had some role models that have come along and helped me with how to design and how to architect solutions for customers. And it's been tremendously helpful to be able to sit down with people and talk to them about how they go about doing that. More importantly for us as we are walking the Christian walk, to have someone who is there with us, someone who's a little further along in the Christian walk, someone who can, who can with challenges that we encounter, someone who has been there and done that, someone who can model for us Christ-likeness. They're not going to be perfect, right? And we shouldn't ever hold anyone up to that example, but we should certainly all try to have someone in our life that we look to for some sort of mentorship and guidance. Joshua had no ordinary man as his mentor. If you want to, if you turn to Joshua, if you've got some Deuteronomy that's left there on the one side of your page, let's read from Deuteronomy Chapter 34, we're going to read verses 9 through 12, and we'll see who Joshua had for his mentor as we begin to kind of discuss who was Joshua before we move into the book. Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, and to Pharaoh, and to all of his officials, and to all his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is, who was the, this is the man who was the mentor for Joshua, Moses. He had seen these things. If we look in Scripture as we read through Numbers and Exodus and Deuteronomy, we would see that Joshua had been Moses' assistant or attendant since he was a young man. That Moses trusted Joshua, and he had Joshua lead the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites. 
as they were in the wilderness. Joshua again was selected to be one of the spies to explore the land of Canaan when the spies were sent in to see if the land was, was good and if they were, would be able to uh, possess it as the Lord had said. If you read, his name Joshua was apparently given to him by Moses somewhere around the time that they were commissioned to go in and spy out the land. And Joshua, along with Caleb, as they would come back with their report, would be the only two who would provide a positive report in favor of entering the promised land to possess it. When it came time for Moses to die, leader God instructed him to pass along his authority on to Joshua so that he would become the leader of the Israelite nation. Joshua would then prepare to lead the people into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were the only two people, the only two people in the Israelite nation over the age of 20 at the time of the rebellion who would eventually be able to enter the promised land. This Joshua is who we have writing us this book about the conquest of Canaan. And I think as we end Deuteronomy with those words that we just read, it flows directly into the book of Joshua. It's like watching an epic film and then popping in the next movie or hitting play on the next one. Like a Lord of the Rings, it moves from one to the next. That was the same way that we have here, moving from Deuteronomy to Joshua. While the author does not explicitly identify themselves here in the book, scholars do believe that Joshua was responsible for much of the writing and recording of the events that took place. As an assistant to Moses, I believe that Joshua would have been well accustomed to writing things down. After all, we have so much written for us that was written by Moses. I believe Joshua would have continued in that in writing things down so that the people would know what God had done, so they would understand his mighty works and deeds that he had done for the Israelite nation. Another strength for the argument of Joshua being the author here is the way that the eyewitness accounts are provided. And then once we get into reading into uh, the second section of uh, Joshua, we'll see that there's lots of information and specifics given about the land and how the land was divided. And I believe all of that strengthens the argument for Joshua being the primary author of the book. So let's quit talking about Joshua, let's quit talking about the book, and let's move into reading some of the scripture and discussing some of the things that God did through Joshua as he worked with the Israelite people. As we read Joshua, as we read this book, we'll see that an overarching theme of the book is rest, or entering the Lord's rest. We'll also see that God is faithful and that he keeps his promises. The promise that God is fulfilling was made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17 and verse 8 when he said to Abraham, and I will give you and you, to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. It is in this book of Joshua that we see the Israelites finally entering into the land, entering into rest, but their work is not done. As they enter the land, they must be prepared because they must fight. They must be prepared to go to war. And so during the conquest, the Israelites will have 20 years to fight to possess that which God has promised them. In these 24 chapters of these, we can see the book broken down into basically three sections. 
if you want to make note of these um, for, for further reading later, chapters 1 through 12 basically contain the conquest and possession of the land. That's where the Israelites are entering and conquering the promised land. Chapters 13 through 22 discuss the distribution of the land and the instructions for how the land is to be separated and given to each of the tribes. And then chapters 23 and 24 are Joshua's farewell address. As he reaches the end of his life, he gives a farewell address to the people. So let's begin with the first section, chapters 1 through 12, conquest and possession. In chapter 1, Joshua is talking with the Lord, and the Lord is encouraging him. So let's look in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, as the Lord encourages Joshua. And he says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their forefathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction of my, ser my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here at the beginning of the move into the promised land, God is encouraging Joshua to be courageous and to have courage. He does that multiple times in this scripture. And as we see, the most important, the cornerstone of this encouragement he gives him is to not let the book of instruction depart from his mouth. He's to, because he's on it, day and night, carefully observing everything written in it. Because if he does those things, if he listens to the word of the Lord, if he follows what God has for him to do, then he will prosper and succeed. In order for the Israelites to possess the land that God was giving them, they were going to have to trust him. They were going to have to be courageous. They were going to have to continue to remember the words that God had given to Moses. They were going to have to continue to follow his laws. And as we'll see in a little bit, the faithfulness of God to deliver when the Israelites were faithful to follow and how they received judgment and failure when they disobeyed God. Joshua and the people put their faith into action and they crossed the Jordan and they received that rest because of God's securing of the promise. It was not because of their ability to fight. It was not because of their superior skill or their weaponry. It was because God was fighting on their behalf. So as they begin the conquest to possess the promised land, we must remember that it is the Lord who is fighting for them. It is the Lord who is leading them. It is the Lord who is doing all of these things. It is not because of anything that the, the people are doing. It is not because uh, Joshua is such a good leader. I think at times when we read uh, in, in Scripture like this, we, we tend to elevate the person more so than say glory to God. And we need to remember Joshua was an amazing man. Moses was an amazing man, but they were men. It is the Lord that we worship. It is their God that they're following that we worship. 
So in, at, as chapter one uh, kind of comes to a close, Joshua is preparing the people and he prepares to send some spies into Jericho. So chapter two discusses uh, the sending of the spies into Jericho. And as Joshua does that <clears throat> in Scripture, we're going to be introduced to another character that's going to be very important later on in Scripture. She's, she's a minor character. She's Rahab, the prostitute. And as these spies go into Jericho to spy out Jericho, Rahab hides these men she shows them favor, and she prevents them from being captured. And in Joshua chapter 2, 8 through 11, they're basically being hidden on the roof of her house behind some, some reeds that she has set up. And she's sent off the people who were looking for them from the city out to go look for them. She's, she tells them that they've left, and she goes and she speaks with them. And so in, in chapter 2 of Joshua, verse 8, she says, before, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the fear of the Lord has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. But we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens and above the earth beneath. What an amazing, amazing confession. Here we have Rahab's faith in God being expressed to these men because of what she has seen God do. God saved the lives of these two spies and would eventually save the lives of Rahab and her entire family because of her faith in the Lord. Her story is a picture of God's grace being shown to sinners and how salvation comes through faith alone. If we fast forward several hundred years, we can see the importance of the saving of this harlot and her family from the destruction at Jericho. As it reads, in Matthew chapter 1, we see the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ as it reads. In Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the book, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, by who? By Rahab. God had a plan. Before the world was formed, God had a plan to send his son into the world. And part of that meant that he was going to continue to preserve a remnant of people, that he was going to continue to work through the messy, sinful lives of people to bring his son into the world, to save the world from sin, to save the world from itself. And so when Joshua sent the two spies into the city, they didn't just by chance meet Rahab. God ordained for them to meet Rahab. And Rahab showed favor to them because she had already heard about the God of the Israelites. She had already heard about the wonders that he had done and how, about how he had allowed them to conquer the people that they had come up against. 
And as she says, their hearts melted away. And when she says that the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens and on earth beneath, she's professing that God is who he said he is. She is professing faith that God is the God, the one and only. And because of her faith, all those years later, when we're being told of the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Rahab, the Gentile harlot from Jericho, who had faith in God, by God's grace, is saved and becomes part of the lineage Savior of the world. It's amazing how God works through the lives of sinful people. And it's amazing to see that he used her and used her in such a mighty way. So as the spies are able to escape, if you guys know that story, she ties a scarlet cord in the window and she lets them out of the city. Remember, her house is in the wall. So for those of you who know the, the battle of the story of Jericho, you may have had little kids at some time, being a, a children's pastor. We, we know Joshua and the walls of Jericho or Joshua and the battle of Jericho. If you know the song and the kids march around and the walls came tumbling down. Her house was in the wall. She had an exterior window. But she was saved not just from being, uh, obviously being found out and, and killed by her own people, but she saved from the calamity of the collapse. She saved, and all those in her household, from what would eventually happen when the walls would collapse, as God had instructed Moses, not Moses, but Joshua, to march around the city for six days, blowing trumpets, the soldiers in silence. On the seventh day, they blew the trumpets and shouted out after they had marched around the city several times, and the walls came tumbling down. They would go in and sack the city, and they would, de they would devote all of the gold and silver and iron and bronze to the Lord, and they were to put everything else to the sword. One of the things that occurred with the sacking of that city <clears throat> was that someone was not faithful. There was someone who disobeyed. And in their first conquest into the promised land, they disobeyed God immediately. I think sometimes we, we look at Adam and Eve and we, we sometimes want to be hard on them because they had one rule, right? You want to say, you had one job, you had one rule, and you couldn't do it. They had one thing they were supposed to do, which was leave all of the precious items to the Lord. But all the gold, and as you know the story, Achan saw the gold and he saw the silver and he thought one bar of gold won't hurt. And so he took some of the items and he wrapped them up in a cloak and he put them in his tent. And because of that, judgment came upon the Israelites. And the second city they approached was Ai. And as they approached Ai, approximately 36 of them were killed and routed. Ai was a much smaller city, not nearly as fortified as Jericho and they were ran off. And so because of the sin of Achan, not only did those 36 men lose their life, but ultimately his entire family would be judged. They would be stoned and burned and have a mound of rocks set up over them because of their disobedience to the Lord. And all of that happened to them to show that God would judge sin, that God would deal with sin. And that in order for them to have success in the promised land, they were going to have to remember what the Lord had said, following his law, 
keeping it in their mouth, meditating on it day and night, careful to observe it and follow him. Another important thing that we see happening as they're in the promised land is their circumcision that takes place. So after the wandering in the desert for, for the 40 years, the Israelites uh, that had been born had not been circumcised. And so as they had moved into the promised land and before they, they begin the, the, the warring against Ai and against Jericho, Joshua brought them together to be circumcised. And as they're circumcised, we see that the reasoning that God is giving is that the circumcision is evidence of rolling away the disgrace of Egypt in their former life, the sinfulness of their former life. And we've talked rolling away, rolling away the sin. And we've talked about circumcision in the previous books that we've studied through, through the Old Testament and the books of law. And I merely want to reiterate tonight that circumcision finds its fulfillment in the circumcision of the heart. I think Garth did an excellent job talking to us about circumcision of the heart, that the circumcision that the Lord desires is not circumcision of the flesh, it is the circumcision of the heart. And in Colossians 2.10, we see that as uh, uh, chapter 2, 10 through, 11, uh, 10 through 12, excuse me, we see the believers as having hearts circumcised by Christ himself. And through that circumcision of the heart, we're putting off our old sinful nature. We're putting away our former lives and we're putting on Christ-likeness. And the circumcision of the Israelites as they enter into the promised land is symbolic of that moving away from the old life or getting rid of the old life and putting on the new. In the fighting that continues in the first uh, 12 chapters of the book, we see that success follows faithfulness. God is fighting for Israel at the battle of Jericho. He fights for Israel at each subsequent battle. When they are faithful and following God, they have success just as God has promised. And one other miracle uh, battle that I want us to, to, to look at briefly uh, occurs in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua and the, the Israelites had made peace with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites had fooled them uh, and uh, made peace with them, but God told them to honor the peace that they had made. And because of the peace that they had made with the Israelites, there were five Canaanite kings that decided they were going to put their armies together and they were going to try to put a stop to these Israelites once and for all. And they were going to start by attacking the Gibeonites. So when the attack came, the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua and Israel responded. And they marched through the night to arrive there at Gibeon as Israel. And when the morning dawned, the armies of the five kings fell into confusion as Israel appeared, and the five armies began to flee from the Israelites, and the Israelite army chased after them, but God caused large hailstones to fall on them, and the hailstones killed more of the, the armies of the five kings than the Israelites killed with their swords. And Joshua and the Israelites were having such a success in battle that God, would, that God would honor a prayer from Joshua that the sun would stand still over Gibeon. In Joshua chapter 10, 14 through 15, it says, There has been no day like it 
before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal after the battle at Gibeon. So we see, again, the message of the Lord fighting for Israel. The Lord is the one who is leading the conquest. It is not because of the military might and power. It is because God is on their side. God is the one who is providing. There are other things that we could read, other things that we could discuss in the conquest of the land, but we're going to move on to the distribution. During the distribution, as you read in Scripture, once you get into uh, chapters 13 and following, there are lots of detail about how the land is distributed, the geographic area, the territory, where it's from, and it gives the name of the places. We're not going to read a lot of those tonight, but the one thing that I do want to say about the detail that's given is that our God is a God of detail. Our God had made promises about where people were going to have property. He told them, wherever your foot had set, God doesn't forget those things. God is a God of fulfill, fulfilling promises. And God fulfills the promises to give them the land in which he has told them he is going to give them. God gave it to them. God enabled them to fight and possess it. And God was going to secure it for them. But not all of it begins to distribute the land that has been conquered. It's important to note that not all of the land had been conquered and, and settled at the time of Joshua's death but at least the plans had been laid for the Israelites to, to take the land. One of the interesting things that, that I think we see in Scripture is that of Caleb's inheritance, which you can read uh, in, in chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 15. Scripture says, The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephun, the, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea. And about you and me, I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. I think that's amazing. When we think about someone who has gone through all that Caleb has gone through, he has seen people be disobedient when he was faithful, but yet he stood and followed God, regardless of what his peers were doing. He stood for what he knew, to be, he knew to be true. And he brought an honest testimony. And then in the 40 years of wandering, as he watched his peers die, he stayed faithful to God. And through the years of conquest, once he finally was brought into the promised land, he fought and here he is, finally receiving his reward, and he says, I have followed the Lord my God completely. And as you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as he promised, since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. And here I am today, 85 years old. I love this next part. I am still as strong today as I, uh, still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle, my daily task is now, was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised to me on that day, because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out, as the Lord promised. 
And so Joshua blesses him and gives him the land. Here is 85-year-old man talking about how he is still as spry and as he was when he was sent out as a spy because God has enabled him to be that way. And he is asking for a land that's full of giants and fortified cities. And he says, perhaps the Lord will be with me. I love, I love Caleb, obviously. I named my son after Caleb. But we see faithfulness in Caleb just like we see in Joshua. We see a man who has completely followed the Lord and a man who has been enabled by God to see the, the promises that God had made delivered. So, as we get to the end of the distribution of, of, of property, we move into the last two chapters of this book, which is Joshua's farewell address. Now, the division of the properties does not go exactly as smoothly as one might imagine. There was some, a little disagreements uh, along the way, but those were settled and they were resolved. And as we move to chapter 23, we see the importance again of the mentor, Moses. We see Joshua doing very similar things that Moses did. When Moses got to the end of his life, he assembled the people and he renewed the covenant with them. And he reminded them of all that God had done and he encouraged them to stay faithful to God. And we see the same thing happening in Joshua's life. In our call to worship tonight, we read from Hebrews 3, 12 through 9. And in that scripture, uh, in verse 15, it says, As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That rebellion that's being referred to in Hebrew desert, rebellion that they had when they refused to go into the promised land and they were forced in, back into the desert. It says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt, led by Moses? It was the same people that had seen the miracles of God. It was the same people that had seen God part the Red Sea. Those were the people that were rebelling against God. It was the same people that heard God speak from the mountain and had seen the lightning and the smoke. It, those were the people who were rebelling. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And verse 19 says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Those who refused to enter the promised land refused to enter his rest because of their unbelief, because they did not believe God, because they believed that the people were too big. They believed that they were too many. Their fortified cities were too much. They believed that, that God was too small or he wasn't powerful enough, and they doubted him. And because of their unbelief, they were allowed to die in the wilderness. The reason for the renewing of the covenant at the end is to remind them of all that God had done so that they would not fall into unbelief, that they would not fall back into old habits, that they would not go after foreign gods, that they would not begin to see how the people around them were living and to long for the things that the other people had, like a king, like an idol. And Joshua 24 Verses 14 through 15, we have Joshua asking them to choose who they will serve. And some of this scripture I actually have on the wall at my house. And I think that it's something important for, for me as a dad 
to talk about Antipkin and 15 and his own children. Scripture says in Joshua 24, 14 and 15, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faith and put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's teaching, Joshua's call to the people is to serve the Lord. His call is to remember all that God has done for you. Why would you serve another? Consider all that God has done. Why would you serve another? God has proven time and time again his faithfulness. God has proven time and time again that he has delivered upon his promises and he has finally brought them into rest. Why would you serve another? As I mentioned, as a father, I have those discussions with my children. We talk about what it means to be a follower of God. We talk about all that God has done for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. His son dying on the cross for our sins, making a way of salvation for us, calling us to repent and believe. Knowing that through belief we receive forgiveness of sins, we receive adoption into the family of God. We receive an eternal home in heaven. Why would you serve another? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And my prayer for each and every single one of you today is that as we look at books like Joshua and we see how mightily God worked on behalf of his people, that we don't forget he is the same today. He was the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. God is able to do all things. There's nothing that limits him. There's nothing that's too big for him. There is no concern that we have in our life that is too small for him. Rest. God loves us. He wants to give us rest. He wants to bring us into his perfect rest, which ultimately is, is a, a home in heaven. But unlike this home that they had here in the promised land, we're not going to have to go fight for it. God has already done that through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And he asks us, repent, believe. Joshua is a wonderful book. I pray that as um, we've gone through some of this tonight that you realize that there's so much more and I hope that you'll read it on your own at home. And I pray that as Joshua says that you too will say, as for you and your house, you will serve the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for how you have worked through the lives of the Israelites in the past. Lord, we thank you for how your promises are, are, are fulfilled. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin that we have through our faith in Christ. Lord, we pray that as we look at, at people like Joshua and, and how that you worked with them, Lord, we, we, we pray that we would remember that you are the same, that you are powerful, that you fulfill your promises, Lord. And we pray that as today as we wait on your son, Jesus Christ, to return, Lord, we pray that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to fulfill that promise and you will return for us, that we may be where you are in heaven. 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.